Hello, Artie Show listeners. We're back for episode six of season three, following on from the last episode presented by Jez. This time, we're going to be looking at children's mental health, focusing on Children's Mental Health Week, which is taking place this year between the 7th and 13th of February. Obviously, there's a lot around at the moment, has been for the last few years particularly with what's gone on with lockdowns and the amount of time that children have you know spent not socializing not being at school with the friends not doing their regular you know daily things that they would usually do it's exacerbated things quite quite a bit Jez and Rich are obviously here as uh, uh, both parents as well so I think they're going to be two two people with a bit to say about about this because they've seen firsthand what you know what lockdown can do to children and uh, how their children manage during lockdown because I think the thing is when people talk about mental health you know lots of different ideas pop into the mind it's not just about the extreme sides of mental health is it where people you know young people might have suicidal ideation and might speak about harming themselves it's just it can be things like low mood uh, you know, a change to the to the way somebody is presenting themselves for different reasons. So, come to you first, Jez, on this one. So, just you know, using your own personal experiences, if you want, just thinking particularly about those lockdowns. Did you notice any change? Any any changes at all in 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 your children? With you know, they they weren't seeing the friends as much. They weren't socialising. They weren't going outside as much. Over time, was there any change in the way they acted or, you know, the decisions they made or how happy they felt? Yeah, um, yeah. just going on to that side, I think, especially the first lockdown, I think there was, there probably was an area of concern probably with um, obviously my oldest daughter. And I think it was more the case of kind of an adapting to being at home for a long, long periods of time because obviously missing the friends, school, that kind of routine, especially for my middle-aged, obviously, daughter as well, who's, uh, they both go to the same school. For, so for them both missing their friends and kind of that work routine that they go through, I think that had a knock-on effect because we had situations where we couldn't, because of the work we do, um, my wife's been, been self-employed, myself working in IT, where there was times we needed to be in the office. It was very difficult to kind of manage that that workload and keep providing that tuition at home for my daughters and not to mention a young child as well who was relatively young at the time when he was born so it was kind of juggling all three of those events together it was quite difficult I think um, at that time I do feel there was a change in kind of uh, mentality though from from my daughter uh, from both my daughters to be honest just in the way that they kind of reacted to certain things becoming a little bit more aggressive and I think they felt because they were at home, they could kind of get away with not doing the work that they were provided and kind of just getting on with playing with toys and watching videos, et cetera, and TV, whereas there was a routine they had at school. So it was kind of lost there. But I do think with that change of coming back to school, it's kind of put that back into their minds of knowing and learning more. And I think the way that the schools have done it, they've kind of drilled a lot more work into them. There's been more homework to kind of give them a bit more of that memory bank of what to remember in terms of numbers and kind of words and what they mean. And kind of being able to give them a bit of that insight to to know this is why they're having a lot more homework. It's because of what's been going on in the homeschool and there's been a lot of work lost during key stages of their years that they're in, where a lot of it is down to numeration and literature as well and kind of spelling. 
and making sure they understand what certain words are and how to do sentences, reading, all those sorts of things as well that come into the equation. So we still kind of did that at home with them, but it's just kind of having that mix when you had a full day to kind of do that work with them, it was very, very difficult. And I think even just mentally when speaking to them, I could tell they would either get quite nervous about wanting to do it or if they made a mistake, kind of trying to explain to them that, you know, I mean, it's okay if you get it wrong, we can always start again, kind of keeping them a bit, bit more upbeat about things but it was very difficult very very difficult at times and I do feel for a lot of the parents who have situations like that to be honest because it, it was very very hard at the time and, and that was the thing it was difficult for children but it, it put pressures on families as a whole didn't it like yeah, I said, yeah, trying yeah. To, people were trying to work from home as well as teach yeah. the children so they were do, trying to do two jobs essentially yeah. as, as great as pe- many people are we can't do two, two, two jobs at once. It's hard enough doing one Massive. job at once, mm. let alone two, you know, yeah. and and then not just teaching your children as well as doing your job, but, uh, you know, feeding yeah. them and keeping them entertained in what would essentially be their break times. Yeah. And it's just normality as they knew it just was taken away from them swiftly. Yeah. Well, yeah. overnight, literally, during the first lockdown, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. So how about you, Rich? Did you see any changes Within your household, was uh, any, anything noticeable? The first, first lockdown, Katie stayed with her mum and dad's up the road. And like, no found it hard being out of that routine. So in terms of what, the, the school were really good with providing schoolwork. So it felt like there was so much work to do. We was always playing catch up. So by the time she's, we've done, they were, she was going through that routine she would it was kind of a perfect routine so it would like instead of finishing it like she would do a subject she'll wake up eat have a break do some work have a break and it just stretched out the days the endless days and Katie's mum was taking her for a drive but the second lockdown Katie and Nova we were all in the same house and we just took it in turns and we just we literally just attacked it in terms of the way we did that schoolwork. And I think because obviously Nova had speech and language difficulties. So we were, in terms of the teaching we was given, like our, with my experience working with children and teaching, and then with Katie as well, we, we was just backing each other up. So because it's only Nova, we was able to just, I think we was able to push her academically. She went, I think she was a bit behind and then she's progressed. She progressed even more. And that was down to the work that we was forcing her to do. Was it difficult? Yes. There were days where it was just like, I know it's bad and I hate to admit it, it was just like YouTube was our friend. It was literally, if we, like, as soon as she was a break, go watch YouTube, go upstairs, play with your toys. Or, you know, we was having to use, like, the technology to kind of manage her at times. But in terms of her social, because obviously she's her own child, she really missed out on that. I think mm. that's key part of her development. So I think even that, even now, she's only started, like, we asked her, who did you play with? I think when she went back to school, she was literally saying, I played on my own. It was like, why are you playing on your own? I don't want to. Like, she was happy in her own company. But it's only really now she's saying, I played with my friends. And thinking, yeah, she's starting to get back into the practice of, you know, all those social aspects. Because obviously, when you're only child, you get the run, you play with the toys you want to play with, you play the games you want to play with. But now she's playing with children, her peers as well, playing with her peers. 
she's having to learn. She doesn't get her own way. She has to compromise and stuff like that. But one thing I noticed, and I think my concern is her resilience. Like she was, I think, just touched on it. It's like she has to get everything right at first and that's it. And she couldn't handle when she got it wrong. And like the phrase in our house is, what I had to say is, we take a deep breath and everything's going to be okay. If we get it wrong, it's going to be okay. If we get it right, it's going to be okay. We had to I keep reinforcing that, that everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be great. Because I feel she was kind of, she was getting her own frustrations in terms of when she weren't getting it right, when she couldn't get it. And it was like, like why it's like trying to get her out that perfectionist, like everything has to be right straight away. She has to get it right then and there. Yeah, but it's just, we've got to, <laughs> I think it's just teaching her, like to kind of offset those sort of issues. We've had to just really work on her in terms of accepting when things don't go away and stuff like that. But um, I think the lockdown for us in terms of her development was really good. And I had to, I put a positive spin on it as well. It was, you're never when you're never going to get this opportunity to spend this much time with your child. And obviously I wasn't working from home. Katie wasn't working from home. So as I said, we were very lucky and very blessed in that sort of a way but at the end of the day it's it was hard and it's the recovery it's something that's going to be ongoing it's something that most probably that development we're going to have to keep plugging away at it in terms of the gaps where she's got in terms of the development and like in terms of the future it's it's like one thing I noticed is like children like we're wearing all these masks and I think the children that are growing up, they're not going to be able to read like facial cues and stuff, you know, like little nuances and stuff like that. It's, I think, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like, that's what's concerning me. It's like, there's some children out there that haven't seen an adult, barely seen adults smile at them mm. or make, you know, silly faces and stuff like that in terms of strangers like, you know, when you go out into the public and you know, you've seen it, Jez, and you've most of done it, we've done it ourselves, where we've been out and you make a, a child looks at you and you make a silly face or something or laugh or smile at them. These children have not had that sort of experience, which is like, how does that affect the development? What are we going to do? What what measures in terms of the gut well, I would say the government, but can we trust the government? At the moment, what resources do the teachers and the practitioners, people that work with children, what are they what are they gonna have to import to fix these kind of don't want to say problems, but the gaps, those little gaps that are in the children's developments. Mm. So I think it's it's gonna be an almighty effort, but again, I think it's something that is manageable and we'll do what we can. Mm. That's it really. And that, you mentioned uh, something key there, which the the being able to read facial expressions, one key thing you mentioned, and it's that kind of thing, those small things. Yeah. That if, if children miss out on a younger age, they are like, you know, the building blocks, um, yeah. just like learning academically within the foundation stage. It's called the foundation stage because the foundations are there and you build all the other learning from that. And if there's gaps for whatever reason. Yeah. It, you know, it can be carried through um, when, when the, you know, they hit 
to the teenage years and then into adulthood for a lot of children. Not not necessarily, you know, things can be, you know, things can be put in place to 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 fill those gaps. But it is such a huge thing at the moment and, and resilience, something else, you know, that that you mentioned, Rich, and you alluded to Jez, it's even pre-pandemic, pre-lockdowns, I, you know, I've worked with so so many children that can't get things wrong without it being such a huge deal for them and sometimes mm. becoming aggressive because they don't get something like that, yeah. you know, and it's just that expectation and you have to be reminded, well, you're only whatever age, I don't expect you to get everything right. You're a child, mm. you know, adults don't get everything right, we don't expect you, but they don't have that resilience and that grit to accept that it's okay to not get things right. And and I don't know, is that, is that the generation we live in, you know, the Google generation, because the answers are just there at your fingertips, so you don't have to work at getting things right. You can just yeah. get your answers yeah. with, with, you know, a few taps on your on your touch screen. I don't know. But I think it, it has exacerbated the issue because there's a really useful website for young people, actually, um, youngminds.org.uk, that's got lots of great information on and tips of how to look after mental health. It's also got a lot of quite startling facts one being that in 2017 there was approximately one in nine children that were identified as probably having a mental health issue only three years later in 2020 that had gone up to one in six children so within three years it's that that's five in an average class of 30 kids in every school have got some form of mental health issue and that that's huge. That's huge when you think, you know, how many children are then there that going to then grow up into adults. And it's, you know, how how do we as a society, how do we tackle that? I think you asked that question, Rich, you know, you, you know, how is it going to be tackled? Because it's not it's not just all on parents, it's not just all on schools. So how is it going to be tackled? How could it be tackled? I know that's like a huge question, but in a nutshell. Jez, how could that be tackled? You know, because we said there's those gaps that have been broadened for a lot of children because of missing out and schooling. The small things, like Rich said, going back to that, reading facial cues, being yeah. able to read body language and know if how somebody's feeling or be able to guess how somebody's feeling from the facial expression, what the body's doing, hmm. and then not being able to read that. That's at one end of, you know, the negative mental health or could possibly be at one end of the negative mental health spectrum. And then obviously there's the much more serious mental health issues that a lot of young people uh, suffer from. But how how is it going to be tackled? How is that statistic from mm. one in six children going to be widened again? So it's not one in six, it's one in nine or, or yeah, one in 15, one in 20. Now you've, you've made an interesting point. Because I think, do you remember, um, do you remember, I think we, well, we probably all remember from like high school, we, we used to have obviously PSE, which was which I always felt was really good because it was open discussions you'd have, and it would also kind of open up people more because to be able to talk about their feelings, their opinions as well that they could bring across. And it got me feeling around times now because obviously I've got apprentices at my work, and it's made me think about areas of well-being. Do you know what I mean? Of in terms of how they've been at school, etc., and things like that before they've come into the real big world, wide world of work. But it makes me think that even at the secondary schools, it's so important to kind of look at the bigger future for that individual. Try and, you know, I mean, even if it means one-to-one sessions with them at times, like once a week, talking about how they're feeling, how their week's been, 
because I think that's massively important even nowadays. I mean, I always do that. I have one-to-ones with my members of my team and it's good to kind of find out what their experiences are. And when you speak to them, you say, well, I never used to have this at school. It was like, you get on with your work, you carry on with what you do when you're day-to-day, you finish your coursework, you hand it in, etc. But I think having those one-to-ones and start introducing them more, or even bringing in someone else who's kind of more in, in line with that would help as well. Someone who's got that experience of kind of speaking to, you know, I mean, young teenagers, kind of helping them understand if there's any problems there or concerns because that will give a lot of guidance then to the secondary schools to be more self-aware that there is problems and it will help tackle those issues head on going forward really and it will help when knowing those issues if they have them they can speak to the parents they can try and provide extra help for them and it will help build that resilience up eventually when they come into the world of work in terms of what they want to do for their career. Because a lot of, as you said, 16, 17 year olds, they're very confused. They don't know what to do. Come out because they don't know what options to take because they see so much on social media that they feel they can just get that straight away. Um, And that's not the case. You've got to kind of earn your stripes is what I always say. You've got to go out there and you've got to graft really and put in that hard work. You've got to start from the bottom and work your way up. That's the way I've seen it. That's the way I've done it. And, you know, I mean, I think that's the way I think it should happen for others, really, if they want to kind of make something out of their career and life going forward. But it's, it is interesting what you mentioned, Sai, because it is, um, it has, obviously, I've got a younger brother and stuff, and it's made me think about, obviously, all that, that one-to-one aspect of tuition. I think it's more needed, and I think it's more prevalent than ever now. Yeah, thanks, Jez. Some, some really good points you raised there. Rich, what's your take? What's your take? How, how, do, we, how do we tackle it? How you know do we tackle this another pandemic? Let's say because it is you know if you're getting children that well children of any age, and more and more of them are having mental health issues. How how can that be tackled? Well, it's going to have to take something spectacular. I think it's going to have to be unconventional. I think it's got to come from the parents. Mm. It's not up to one institution. It's not up to one agency. It's everyone working together in a holistic approach and with that common goal. So it's like simple little stuff. It's like, I think in terms of schools, obviously you've got to catch up with the academics and stuff. But having, teaching the children more about emotions, giving them that emotional intelligence, teaching that as important as a, as a English, as, a, as numeracy, as geography or history, you've got to teach it. You've got to teach that emotional intelligence. It's, if you know, as you were saying, like the facial cues are the building blocks of emotion because if you could see, recognise what someone's feeling, that's empathy and that's the start. And if those building blocks are missing, they've got to be taught. And it's not just up to schools, as I said, it's the family. So it's like us as parents getting the children out in the world rather than keeping them on the screens, it, taking them out, giving mm. them new experiences, even going to the shops and getting them to talk to the shopkeeper and stuff. That's something I do with Nova, that she's at that age now. She talks like when she's in a restaurant, you tell the lady what you want. You read and tell her what you want. You need to look at her in the eye. You need to do this. You need to mm. do that. It's simple. It's those little lessons that what I try and do is if there's every, any opportunity I just take that opportunity and let her try to take a lead and building that confidence within herself. It's also stuff in terms of that's what we could do is as parents giving them new experiences. And we spoke about the school, but in terms of a government thing, what we can do, what can be done is, I know it sounds silly, but bring stuff like youth clubs back. 
because youth clubs were like a the amount of experiences that I got from a youth club because you know you're in your teenage years you're full of hormones and you've got all this you've got all these emotions and stuff inside you and you don't recognize it and you're with your peers you learn how to argue without getting into a fist fight you learn how to compromise you learn how to play games you learn how to even talk to the opposite sex and stuff like that not saying we as a generation we're perfect we still got our failings but those little stuff those little stuff it's that's what had a big effect on me and it's also stuff like having mentors like I didn't realize like my older cousins they were constantly mentoring me it's like they used to my cousins used to say stuff my cousins were like they weren't academic and stuff like that but they would say if I see you out of school I'm gonna beat you up because and tell your mum about it because you're not meant to be out of school so it's like I'm not saying that's what we should do but it's like mentoring like you do Jed like you do with your brother and sister like you've done Simon with you know your little cousins and you get me and your nephew and stuff like that it's us as adults trying to mentor taking a bit of time out and no I know we're busy we, everyone's got a busy life but you I, I think you don't realize that what that afternoon having your nephew or your little brother around your house and being around you that effect that has on their life like with my little brother and sister, they don't remember the times I took them out to the zoo. They don't remember talk. It's not the big spectacular stuff I did with them. The one, the memories they got is like when I took them to the calf. And I used to say that it was like a chimp's tea party because they had no manners and stuff. And they, we had so much laughs and we enjoyed ourselves. And I was like, why did they remember that? Like I spent so much money taking them to that place, taking that place. But that's the one of the memories that sticks out for them. And they just said, look, we just had fun and it was just different. And it was a it was just taking them to a calf. And you think it's just a calf. But yeah. a calf is a new experience. A calf is a or even taking them to the local park and having a walk around and what Nova loves doing is collecting stuff from nature and stuff like that. It's just getting those new experiences and just get your child to live in the world rather than behind the screen and it is bloody difficult especially now when it's cold and stuff like that but I've had to literally well I wouldn't say I forced myself but Katie's forcing me look we got a car let's just 10 minutes let's go to Temple Museum let's go for a walk and let's let her play on our back rather than and that hour that you spend out of the house is so much better than us me on my and Kate on her phone Nova's watching TV or something you get what I'm saying so it's going to take to build up those gaps it's just going to take a big approach and what everyone needs to be singing from the same hymn sheet it can't be one person doing it this way one person's doing it that way you've all we've all got to come together and it's about that early intervention it's not waiting it's work proactively rather than reactively rather than waiting for till the child throwing tables and stuff like mm. that. It's recognising those signs and just dealing with it then and there and putting just, even if it's taking the child out for 15 minutes and doing a bit of a social game with them and stuff, these are things that are going to have to happen in school and it's going to put a lot more pressure in schools. But in terms of the government needs to be throwing the money, the money that they're using to pay off their friends, give their friends these contracts and stuff like that. They need to be thrown it into the education system because if 
you don't do it and the social sectors, if you don't do it, these children are just going to go up, cause a whole heap of crimes and then the amount of money that they're going to waste in terms of policing, building prisons, that all of that is just going to be wasting money. It's just, you've got to, it's got to be early intervention. Mm. And yeah. I'm sorry if I've waffled, but yeah. You both came up with some really good points there. And I think collectively, you were what you were talking around, it seems to fall under the top-down policy from government that then trickles down into schools and the pressures that are on schools in terms of English and maths. It's just English and maths crazy. And then that sends the message to the kids that that's all that's important. Jez, you you know, you alluded to PSE, PSE as it was back in our day, PSHE as it is now, the shoved an H in there for the health side of it. Mm. You know, it, it gets overlooked massively and mm. there's not much money put into it because it is all about English and maths. Yes, it's the bread and butter. People need to be able to read and write and do basic maths. But more importantly, you can, you can learn that at any point in your life. It's harder to learn how to, you know, have that great, how to deal with setbacks, failures, how to, you know, dust yourself off and try again, as Aaliyah would, you know, have said. Yeah. Uh, just get up and crack on with things. It's harder to do that as an adult than it is as a kid to try and get it as a kid and build those skills as as a child. And then that obviously then comes down to the funding, which again, things that you both were talking around, it is down, it's down to funding. And if children need a higher adult to child ratio, which you said, you know, you you mentioned, Jez, that might be as in the form of one-to-ones in school or mm. go to a smaller setting where there's, you know, much more adults and, you know, a lot less children rather than a class of 30 to 35 mm. and one or two adults in primary schools, if you're lucky, to those, those one or 30 or 35 mm. children. It, it, it's, it's nigh on impossible to be able to address and look after all those, the holistic needs, let alone, you know, the the, the academic needs. So policy change and money seems to be the, the big two things that have come from what, you know, what, what we've discussed. I think it's uh, just about time for us to finish. Just want to mention that web address again for anyone that's listening and we'll, we'll put it out on the socials, www.youngminds.org.uk. Lots of information there for young people, but also for parents and for professionals who work with children. So if you're going through a tough time, Speak to someone about it. Don't keep it inside. It, there's always a way out. And I think that's the main thing that people need to remember if they feel that things are you know, getting on top of them. Thank you, Jez. Thank you, Rich. Um, thank you. Thank you. And thank you, listeners. We shall see you again for episode seven. Peace cool. out. Peace out. Peace. Peace.